0: Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Sophie Shaw. Sophie is an associate at Brian Cave Leighton & LLP, specializing in restructuring and insolvency. Sophie is also the creator of the Law with Sophie blog, which aims to help individuals who have a lack of industry connections and information thrive in this industry. Sophie has previously worked as a product marketing advisor at Linklaters. During this time, she worked on a succumbent to the Warsaw office. In addition to all of this, Sophie is a mentor with Grow Mentoring and has also been featured in the Lawyer and the LawCareers.net. So a very, very warm welcome, Sophie.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And before we dive into all your amazing achievements and what you've been up to, we do have our customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality?
1: Oh, it's, in my reality, I'd give it a solid like 2 out of 10 rob i don't know anyone that storms into court and swears at judges and you know any lawyers that have enough energy to have rendezvous in the library cupboard so no
0: (laughs) yeah a bit of bit of harsh reality i think a two is 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 well justified in your response there so we are going to be talking a lot of today about sort of some of the skills and, and various elements, but I just want to start by telling us a little bit about your your family background and, and upbringing. Tell us a bit about you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, you might have detected a bit of an accent. I'm from Manchester originally, so that's where I grew up in your classic like northern family household. I went to a mixture of schools actually. I moved around, so I've sort of seen the whole gamut of like state schools, grammar schools, private schools, so on. So it was a bit of a checkered blanket of experience. But I think overall, in terms of length of time, I'm a candidate that has to say on application forms that I'm primarily state school educated. Um, So, you know, socially mobile, all that. And so that was sort of like my upbringing. And then I uh, went to university a long, long time ago now to do business. And I was like, completely elitist about that. I was like, right, I'm doing business. I want to go to the best business school. So I did that. I got the grades and off I trotted to Bath University. And then I go to enter the legal profession and I find out that people don't like Bath University. They don't think it's very good. It's not Mm -hmm. a Russell Group University. So then I realized, oh, I'm in this category of people. I'm in this club, this non-Russell Group club which I think has become something that's become a recurring sort of motif throughout my legal career and also starting the law blog and chatting to people that way. There are so many people that feel disadvantaged because they went to a normal, screen uni. So I loved it anyway. I thought it was a fantastic uni. I did business, as I said. So I um, also had two placements as part of that, two six-month placements. Um, one was dead random in shipping and mm-hmm. one was... Um, Actually, you know, a real kind of kismet opportunity. One was an internship I had with an accountancy firm in restructuring and insolvency, and that was what really ignited my passion for the industry, and ultimately, I guess you could say, has led to me being where I am today as a restructuring insolvency practitioner. So I did that, I graduated, and I always knew that I'd wanted to do law, um, and without being like too long-winded about it, I was very pragmatic when I was applying to university because it was right in the middle of the financial crisis. Um, And so I thought, oh, if I go to do business, it will give me a really broad base, loads of skills, which was all very true. But law was like, it was like that thing that you just couldn't, it's like the one that got away. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. And I carried on doing law modules. So I did law A-level and did law modules at uni as well. And by the end of my degree, I was chomping at the bit. I was desperate to crack on with the GDL. So I took myself off to do that, did the GDL and also paralegal to part-time I was just getting as much legal experience as possible, everything I could get my hands on, basically. I finished the GDL and um, was coming to sort of like the end of summer. And because of that experience that I'd had on my degree doing a bit of marketing, um, coupled with the GDL, for some reason, recruiters were just like coming out of the woodwork, left, right and centre to offer me legal marketing roles. So, as you mentioned, I took the role at Linklaters. And again, another real, like, if that hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I took that role and I was basically writing pitches for the business, aligned to a few departments, but essentially supporting throughout the business. And that role was just instrumental in teaching me so, so much that I now hold dear and know. Um, again, try not to bore people by going into too much detail but I think it will come up throughout the course of this episode you know a lot of the skills that I've learned and that I think are really important I got from that role but ultimately I thought that role was going to be a stopgap whilst I was applying for training contracts and as we know it's a bit tough out there it's a bit tough so I was there two three years in the end and had some incredible opportunities pitched some incredible clients as you said I went on secondment um, and I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. But, you know, the training contract needed to be obtained. And I finally got one with my firm off the back of a VAC scheme in 2016, where I sat with the restructuring insolvency team. Again, bringing that interest back, had a fantastic time, secured my training contract, finally started training in 2019. And as of this year, I have qualified and come full circle, r associate at my firm.
0: Hooray! Congratulations. And what a great story. So uh, I love what you're, you're doing. And that's truly inspiring for a number of our listeners. So you touched on training contracts. So what is the key piece of advice you have for individuals in order to stand out during their, their training contract? Do you think taking initiative is the key?
1: It's definitely a really big part of it. I think taking initiative is all that a lot of people can ask of a trainee. When people point to good juniors and good trainees specifically, it is those people that are all over it and they're really getting stuck in, they're being proactive, they're enthusiastic, they're motivated. I think that is a huge, huge thing. If nothing else, you know, your technical knowledge might not be there. We make mistakes as trainees, that's normal. But if at the end of the day, you are super proactive and enthusiastic, that is always an attribute that's going to go down really, really well. Um, and it's going to make you stand out in your training contract. And I think it's that's the goal is to try and stand out. The last thing you want is to leave a department and a couple of seat rotations go by and somebody mentions, oh, do you remember that trainee we had Sophie? And they're just like, who? You know, it's all about making an impact. And I think one of the most effective ways of making an impact is showing that you've got initiative, you care and you are really proactive. Yeah.
0: Love that answer. Cause so my next question was going to be, what does taking initiative mean to you? And you mentioned sort of enthusiastic impact. What how would you sort of describe it in a nutshell from a from a legal kind of trainee perspective? What does initiative mean to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's about offering to do absolutely everything to the point where you think you're annoying people if anything comes in. And it does feel a bit annoying now because we are remote to respond to every email. Do you want me to send that? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? It is literally a case of doing that. You are there to make everybody's life easier should be your mantra. And essentially you should try and do everything. And it's not just those like things where it's like, admini, I'll do this, I'll do that to make your life easier. It's also for your learning to build those technical skills. And some stuff you'll know is within your court, right? And I always think some trainees think I'll just stay in my lane. If it's adminy, it's me. And it's like, no. If somebody says we need to um, put these documents together as part of this deal, why not have a go at it? Why not stick your hand up? Why not say, I've never drafted security documents before. Do you mind if I have a first crack? They will absolutely love it. People love it. They're like, oh, okay, Sophie's interested. Like this is something she's interested in. And anything is easier to review than to draft. So the associates are going to love it if they've got something. Your draft might be rubbish, but that's fine because it's always easier to amend than to draft from scratch and as your legal skills develop you get way more used to looking critically at other people's work than necessarily drafting from scratch because you know you've done it so much and so yeah sticking your hand up to absolutely everything it's not just about saying yes to the opportunities that come into you it's about being all over everything and being super super keen which can be slightly exhausting i'm not going to lie cuz it's like being switched on constantly being like i'll do that i'll do that uh so i do think it's definitely smart to be mindful that you're not overexposing yourself and kind of like spreading yourself too thin but yeah being keen
0: love that so loving that being proactive and it's what one of my early sports coaches said to me um I, aie attitudes is everything i think if you have a can do proactive go get it attitude then people will really buy and respond that love that
1: that is so true, Rob. So so true. Attitude is everything, and I think the trainees that really stand out have a great attitude. It literally is that you've hit the nail on the head.
0: Yeah, and you know it's something I I stick by, and it's what I look for as as, as well in, in in people. Okay, so in your law with Sophie blog, which I'm a big fan of, by the way, you've talked about how to be a fantastic trainee solicitor by discussing the essential qualities trainees need to tell. So tell us a bit more about these. Tell us what about these qualities they really need to possess to be a really technically good training.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the big one that we've touched on already is proactivity. So just to touch on some of the others, I think resilience is massive. There's a few different sort of conceptions that I have of that. I think when most people think resilience and when you go to a law firm and you get like training on resilience and things like that, it's it's more stamina than resilience. It's like, okay, how can you you know, juggle the demands of this really stressful line of work? How can you be resilient in terms of your mental health and your physical health? I do think there's an element of that because as trainees, the more you do, the more you learn. So if you've got a good attitude to it, which obviously, as we've said, we'd encourage, it, you should be doing as much as you can. And sometimes that does mean the odd late night because the more you do, the more you learn. So the more you throw yourself at it, And the more you get involved, the more you will take away from it. You've only got six months in a given department to learn as much as possible. And so without sounding like a massive swat, you've just got to get stuck in and do as much as you possibly can. But obviously, the flip side of that is you do need to really look after yourself and make sure that you are building that resilience and that stamina. To me, though, the much more important part of resilience and and the side that doesn't get talked about as much is picking yourself back up after knockbacks. And that is a huge part of being a trainee because you make mistakes all the long day every day
0: what do you do what advice would you say to others around that resilience or facing those knockbacks to build on it
1: it's about being robust it's about not taking it personally and it's about joining on day one realizing that you are the very the very bottom of the chain being a trainee is a real leveler it doesn't matter what experience you've got in life everybody's going to make mistakes all day every day you might be a really technically strong trainee that happen to like love the law, the black letter law and stuff like that, but you might have no common sense. Equally, you could be a really pragmatic person, but technically your drafting is not quite there. People at law firms hire all different types of people for all different reasons, and we're all growing and learning every day. It is just the biggest learning curve ever. So I think managing your own expectations and having a great attitude again, just being like, it's not personal. It's just feedback on my work. It's not a reflection of me personally. Everybody is here to encourage me and to develop me to be a good lawyer. They're not, you know, doing this for any other reason. Um, So, yeah, being really robust and having a good amount of self-awareness, I think, really helps. Because then it's not this crashing realization, you know, just having those moments of reflection and trying to encourage a self-awareness of what your strengths and your weaknesses are. Because then if you're getting picked up on those weaknesses, it's like, yeah, I know that's something I'm working on and here's how I'm working on it, rather than just being like crestfallen that somebody happens to have seen any negativity, you know, in how you present yourself. Because I think, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Rob, but I think a lot of people that go into the legal industry are like type A perfectionists. So they can take critical feedback quite personally and they can take it to heart because they used to be in the tall poppy and they used to performing really well. But ultimately, when you join a law firm, you have to accept as a trainee, you're like the least smart person there. You're surrounded by people that are insanely brainy and way more experienced than you. So it's about learning from them. It's not a personal affront to you. They're teaching you and coaching you and helping you grow. And um, so, yeah, that, that is the huge part of resilience for me. And when you get feedback, it's about action in it and it's about learning for next time the really frustrating part of being a trainee is everybody's going to give you different feedback and they're going to want something done in their own particular way. So you'll think you've nailed something and then you do the same thing for somebody else and you get constructive feedback all over again. You just can't take it personally. You have to take these things, not as setbacks, but like, got it, noted, change that and just learn for next time. If you can't do that, then it's not really a profession that ultimately might be for you because I joined this profession because I want to be learning and developing as a lawyer until the day I give it up. That's why a lot of people are attracted to the profession because you you can't get bored by something that's continually evolving. Unfortunately for us, the law's always changing and market practice is always changing. So you can't be like, nailed it. I'm an awesome trainee. I'm an awesome lawyer. It's constantly in a state of flux. and um, So yeah, that's how I've tried to deal with it. And I think it works really well. And I think that's a reality check that most trainees need to have at some point.
0: And I guess that leads to motivation, doesn't it? Not taking it. I was going to say, how do you overcome, you know, when you get those setbacks, motivation, which is linked to resilience. I think you've just hit the nail on the head by not taking it personally and just understanding anything that you get told is hopefully going to help you improve. You know, failure is just part of the process. You know, you learn as you go, you know, learn as you go to grow and all of that good stuff. So I'm absolutely loving That. Okay, so I want to talk about something that I'm particularly passionate about as a as a disruptor in the the legal industry from a recruiting services perspective. But with the industry being increasingly more saturated, it's more and more important for people to build their personal brands and be visible. What is your advice on doing this? Because I think you're doing a wonderful job.
1: Thanks, Rob. Um again, my advice. I think so much of this comes back to being really keen and enthusiastic. My advice is to just get front and center of your team. So important right now when we're working from home as well to go above and beyond because those little interactions you might have had in the office just whilst you're making a coffee in the kitchen or everybody's going to the canteen together, your brand was naturally and your profile and the team was naturally being built without you having to try. Everything now requires much more proactivity in terms of you building your brand and your network. I always say to trainees if you're remotely interested in a department and you want it to come across as you're interested in a department, When you join, go out of your way to introduce yourself to everybody. The team might do that anyway. They might be like, oh, we've got this new trainee, Sophie. She's sat in this room or, you know, if we're not in the office, drop her a note and say hi. But if they don't do that, then it's really on you. That is kind of the the thing. It sounds really obvious, but I think a lot of people come to being a trainee solicitor as their first-time job, so they perhaps don't realise people aren't going to go out of their way to put you in front of the team sometimes. It's really on you. So I always encourage people to do that and introduce themselves to people. I also always encourage people to put some time in with the partners in the team, even if there's loads of them. It can be gradual over the course of your seat, because obviously you will start to work with the partners and get to know them in that way. Because the best way, I think, to get to know your colleagues is on matters. But if you're not naturally working with some people, but you're really interested in the type of work, drop them a note and say, hey, Rob. I'm really interested in learning what you do. What's your practice? Do you have 10 minutes for a quick virtual coffee? Because I'd love to learn more. Nobody said no to me in my experience. And I don't know anybody who's had a no to that question. And do you know why I think that is, Rob? Because people love talking about themselves and particularly lawyers. You know, we're wordsmiths and people that are in a partnership level love mentoring juniors as well. So if you can show that you're interested, then they'll love it. They absolutely love it. Taking that ownership for your personal brand right from the beginning is so, so important because trainees get a reputation, they do. And when you get the list in your team, you know, now I know as an associate, it's like this is who's joining us as a trainee. And you're like, oh yeah, I heard about her, like I heard she's pretty good actually. We worked with her on this deal and she, she made a good impact. Your reputation will precede yourself. So your personal brand should definitely be something that is a priority from the get-go. And being a trainee doesn't absorb you of that in any way. And It's definitely on you to go out of your way and forge those connections.
0: Brilliant. Love that answer as well. Okay, do you also believe that it's important for trainees to establish themselves as reliable individuals?
1: Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, I think that's huge for a lot of industries, to be honest, Rob. But the thing with law is we have to be seen to be reliable anyway. It's so, so important for our clients that our advice is accurate and reliable. But then, you know, obviously as a trainee, in relation to your peers and your colleagues, there's so many things that come into building a reliable trainee, which is honestly just nailing the basics. And I don't think there's any reason why somebody shouldn't be able to to nail that. For me, a reliable trainee is somebody that's responsive. So I'm not saying you have to get back to emails within 10 minutes. We all know that your outbox can go mental, but you can't sit on an email for hours just to hold her email. Just, hi, associate, thanks for your email just finishing a task but i'll get to that responsiveness people know that you're on it they don't need to worry you don't not reply to them and they they have to think what's going on with that task like is sophie working on that task show that you're reliable and that you will do what has been asked of you also the second thing i think is meeting timeframes so doing the work that's been asked of you in the right time frame things happen that might prevent you from doing that and again it's just about communication If anything comes up and you can't meet a deadline, you have to communicate it because if you miss a deadline, obviously you're not reliable. So it's really simple things. It's just communicating with people about deadlines, being responsive. And I think the third thing that I would just mention is, again, linked to that point we were just previously discussing, ties in with the resilience point. When somebody gives you feedback, I think another really good way of showing that you're reliable is that you action feedback. You don't want an associate to be picking you up on the same stuff again and again it's frustrating for them and it shows that you might not necessarily like have that enthusiasm or care that much if you can be responsive communicative and action feedback this is like this is a reliable trainee that we don't need to worry about when we tell them something or when we ask something of them they get it done and we don't need to worry about whether that's going to get done and whether it's going to get done right that's all they can ask for they're there to teach you and to pick up on the mistakes you're making that's fine but if you can show that you can reliably deliver within the confines of all that they'll love it.
0: Love that answer as well. Yes. Really enjoying this conversation, Sophie. Okay, before we we wrap up, how do you think trainees can be proactive when qualifying into their chosen practice area?
1: Oh, there's so much you can do here. Oh, it's it's a real cringy time and it's a real putting yourself out there. And I think a lot of people struggle with it. I've got to admit, Rob, I was unashamed about it from the beginning because the specific department I've qualified into was super competitive at my firm. So I really threw the book at it. And to begin with, it was looking very competitive for me to even get a seat in the department. And obviously for a lot of practice areas, you can't really qualify into that team if you haven't done a seat there. I think there's shades of grey within that. Obviously, cross-qualification might be an option for some things like one litigation seat to a different litigation seat, for example. But if there's a type of work that you purely haven't done, it'd be really hard for you to qualify into that team. So from the very beginning of my training contract, I was like, hello, grad rec. It's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, I really want restructuring insolvency. You know, let's make that happen. And as I went through my training contract, it was becoming increasingly unlikely. And I had to get to the point where I was like, OK, at this point, I don't care what you give me. I just need R&I. There's not a world where I don't qualify into R&I at this firm. So come on, let's make it happen, guys so managing grad expectations and to be honest just really championing yourself and advocating for yourself in your career you need to be very very proactive with grad in and being like i know you're going to try and present different qualification options to me this is the one i really really want and i'm happy to take strategic advice but ultimately for me i'm loving this seat and i really want to qualify into it again it's completely on you um it's a recurring theme isn't it this conversation but yeah obviously your career is in your hands and grad rec will be more than happy to qualify anywhere they just care about their statistics so you have to really champion yourself there and also the second thing is just a huge amount of schmoozing with the partners in the team that you want to qualify into I had been in touch with the partners in the r and team at my firm throughout my training contract because I was just like hello uh I might not get to sit with you it's really sad but I really want to qualify with you. And it got to the point where it like mixes and things like that, because our grad rec team would hold kind of these like fairs, like seat fairs, where you could go and chat to the teams and be like, what's your department like? Should I do a seat there? I would always turn up at these things like, me again, hello. And the R&I partners were just like, hi, Sophie. <laughs> when are you joining us? Is it this time? Is it next? I'm like, I think you should have a word with the grad rec because they're saying I'm not going to be able to sit in the team. And just have those conversations and, you know, ultimately when push came to shove, as my final seat, I got the department. And when I was in the seat, luckily I'd already worked with them a lot on ancillary matters. So when I was sat in corporate and when I was sat in finance, I'd worked with the RI and i guys and kind of had the nod from them. And the head of the team was like, I really hope you do join our team at some point. And then when I was in the team, he rang me on kind of week one, week two. And he was like, how's it going? What do you think? And I was like, obviously, you know, I've always wanted this seat. But just so you know, I'm loving it so far. It's very early days, but I'd love to have that chat about qualifying into the team. And he was like, don't see why that's not a problem, but I can't commit to anything. Thanks for letting me know. And then they know where they're at with headcount and resource. And the thing that you have to think about, there's so much we could talk about qualification. so I'll, I'll try and wrap it up soon. But the thing you have to think about qualification is partners have to plan their pipeline at least three to six months in advance which is actually super hard because depending on what work they've got on, they might not necessarily have the need for an NQ or the want for an NQ. But if you're in the team and they're like, we can't miss out on this person, they'll find the headcount from somewhere. On the flip side, you might have told them, yeah, I'm definitely qualified to the team. I love it. And they think, awesome. Sophie's a dead sir. You decide to go to another team. And then they've got spare headcount they've campaigned for and pushed for. That doesn't get used. So it's in everybody's interest for everyone to be transparent and put the cards on the table, and that's what I did with the partners in my team. And they were just like, "We're really happy with the work you're doing. We want you to apply." And I was like, "Great. I'm really glad we had these conversations from an early, early stage and knew where I was at." And um, you can't leave anything to chance. You need to have really open, honest conversations with all parties involved, and yeah, really push for what you want. That's if you know what you want, because I know a lot of people get to the final seat and they're undecided. And I just think you have to chat with as many people as possible in that circumstance. I still did that. I think you can't go wrong if you're chatting to all the associates and the partners and just being like, do you think this is right for me? Whatever. Just, again, proactivity. Just going out of your way to to really make as informed a decision as possible and put it on the right people's radar that, that you're going to apply to the team or you're thinking of applying to the team would be my advice.
0: Great advice as well. so just to try and sum up that that wonderful answer, I would say one it's it's self-belief. two it's wit, whatever it takes. three, it's ultimate accountability in terms of you know if it's meant to be it's up to me, there's not the what ifs it's you got to go out and make it happen. you network, you meet people, you go above and beyond, you get noticed and no is not an answer you're interested in. I think that's really powerful. And ultimately, that's what the show is all about. It's inspiring. You've been there. You've done that. And I'm just so happy we've had you on the show, learning more about what you're doing and how you're giving back because you're a busy associate now in a top, top, top international law firm. You're still finding time to come on shows like this and help the next generation of lawyers. So, yeah, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. So if people want to follow or get in touch with you about anything we've discussed today, I'm sure they will. What's the best way for them to do that? Feel free to shout out any of your web links or social media handles, and we'll also share them
1: with this special episode too. Amazing. The best way for people to get in contact with me is definitely on Instagram. I'm on there all the time, and anybody that chats to me on there knows that I, you know, the DMs are very much alive. I'm always there to help people with bits of nuggets and advice. For sort of longer-form content, um, if people are preparing for their training contract or if they're still at assessment centre application stage, There's loads of resources on my blog where I talk about trainee life and I have a couple of downloadable guides as well if people are still at the application stage and they want to brush up on their commercial awareness or they just don't know where to start researching law firms. But yeah I'm I'm happy to speak to anybody who is about to become a trainee or they are in the application stage or whatever. As you say it is something that I juggle alongside work but it's basically my hobby now. And pretty much my only hobby except you know drinking wine so i'm i'm very much here at everyone's disposal and i've absolutely loved to be on the show today
0: uh, thank you so so much sophie we've loved having you on the show it's been an absolute pleasure we want to wish you lots of continued success with your legal careers and all your future pursuits but from all of us on the legally speaking podcast over and out this week's review comes from greta underscore parks Greta says, great podcast, very insightful, and they celebrate diversity. Easy recommendation. Thank you so, so much for all of your kind words and support for the show. It really means a lot to all of us here at the Legally Speaking Podcast.